Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, Josh Butler. I oversee our local and global outreach. So that's like our local ministries here in the city and then our international partnerships overseas. And uh, Rick is going to be back next week. He's preaching out at Eastside, our Eastside gathering this morning. And uh, he'll be back to continue our series in First Peter next week. Uh, but this morning, the question that I kind of want to ask us is going, what is that one thing that you wish we did as a church? What's that one thing that you wish... We did here in our city. Because over the years, I've had a lot of conversations where they tend to go something like this. Where someone goes, hey, Josh, man, I think it would be so rad if Imago Day, if we had this kind of, if we were able to care for this vulnerable people group in the city. Man, it would be, Josh, it seems to be so rad if, if you as a church, you could start this way of caring for this group of people who are hurting in our city. Josh, it would be so cool if, if Imago Day, if your church could, could partner with this organization that's doing this rad work or launch this kind of initiative in the city. And my response is almost always the same. It's something like, that is awesome. I love that vision. It sounds like it's something that God might be calling you to do. <laughs> like, to start up and lead. Like, you are Imago Day. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And I want to help resource and equip and unleash us on mission here in our city. Had a conversation this week with a pastor from another part of the country, and he was asking, he's like, hey, Josh, so how do you start your guys' ministries? How do you kind of launch them? And I go, actually, I don't. <laughs> he's got to take it back. He's like, well, no, you're the outreach pastor, right? So you start the ministries, kind of see what you guys want to do and mobilize people into them. I go, no, actually, we, we sort of start from the opposite direction. Uh, we, we've had a motto over the years since back in the day that pastors can't start ministries, which can sound a little weird at first, right? Like, oh, what, what do you do then? What do you pay for, right? But, <laughs> but it's starting with the premise going, we believe God has gifted us as the body of Christ, all of us, with vision, with talent, with imagination, with dreams for our city, that he's empowered us with his spirit. And so I see my role less as being the guy who starts the ministries and, and all, and more as the guy who wants to try and surface the gifting that God has given you. And try and come alongside and equip and resource and unleash us as the body of Christ. And for some, that might look like official ministries, that you know, the, uh, the church. And others, it might just be the way that we live in our vocation and our families and our school and our neighborhoods. That we could live as, a, as representatives embodying the love of Christ into this city where he's placed and called us. So my hope for this morning is I want to try and kind of recalibrate our sense of mission. I believe God has amazing things in store for us, as Gianna said, God's dreams for our city this year are bigger than our own. And so I want to try and recalibrate our sense of mission and just go, what does it look like for us to partner with God and what he's about in this upcoming year? So we're going to be in John 20. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And so John 20, and to kind of set the stage, uh, last week we were in the, the first part of John 20, and we're at Easter, where Jesus is resurrection, right? And so last week we celebrated Jesus' resurrection, his victory over sin and death in the grave. And this week, as Paul said, we're still in the season of Easter. It's Eastertide. It's like 50 days, right, as we look towards Pentecost. So we're in the season of Easter. And this morning we want to look at how Jesus, the resurrected Christ, he sends us on mission in the power of his spirit. How the resurrected Jesus sends us on mission in the power of his spirit. So as John 20 in verse 19, as this opens the disciples, Jesus is risen, but they don't know it yet. 
right? So they're huddled up, they're afraid, and they think the movement's over, everything's done, and they're waiting. And this is the point. Earlier that day, Christ rose from the grave that morning, and now it's night, and they're about to find out. So in verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Let's stop there for a minute. Love, I think one of the first things we see here is that when Jesus steps into the room, when Jesus enters the room, he moves us from defense to offense. He moves us from defense to offense. We see that as this passage opens, the disciples are on defensive mode, right? Like they're huddled up. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders who in their context, that was like the cultural authorities, the people with influence and power in their day who were on the hunt for them. And there's a sense that if you got identified as a follower of Jesus, it could mean social ostracization. It could mean your life. And so they're rightly afraid. And so it says it's evening time. So if you can picture it, it's, it's getting dark. And Christ has just been killed that weekend. And so they're, they're afraid and they're filled with fear. And they've got the doors locked, it says. The window's drawn. It's getting dark. They're huddled together, afraid for their lives, trying to protect what they can. Jesus is alive. The reality is that Christ has risen and victorious. But they don't know it yet. Their lives are not yet aligned with reality, the reality of the resurrected king. And so they're living with a dead Jesus. And because they have a dead Jesus, they're living in fear, clustered up. And I think often uh, we can find ourselves in a similar predicament, right? Like Jesus has risen from the grave, but for us it can still feel like, dude, we, 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 we lose sight of that and we still act like, yeah, I, I'm a Christian and Jesus was around 2,000 years ago, but... You know, we, for all intents and purposes, it's as if we have a dead Jesus. And when that happens, we can feel very intimidated by our culture, right? We have a cultural context where there's some places where, dude, you say I'm a Christian, and it's like social capital. People give you applause. Like, hooray, that's great, right? I remember uh, my wife and I were in, we're in Africa for a few months. And, dude, if you said you were a Christian, we were, people immediately were like, hey, man, high five, you know, brother, give you a hug. Portland, it's not quite the same, right? <laughs> Like, dude, Portland, it could be like in the dads, you know, like, you're a Christian? Yeah, there's no way you're marrying my daughter, right? Like, <laughs> it can lead to a sense of social ostracization, right? And so there's a sense where, dude, it can be intimidating to be identified with Christ. And so I want to ask this morning, who are your, like, quote-unquote, Jewish leaders, right? Where are your locked doors? Where are those places in your life, those people who you fear, man, what would it mean if they found out that I love Jesus and I, I think he's the king of the world and he's good, right? Where are those places of, you know, people with influence and authority where there's kind of an intimidation factor? And where are those locked doors, right? Where are those places where it just feels like the world is a big, bad, scary place outside and where you're ruled by fear, where it's easier to kind of cluster up and protect what you can? Because if all we have is a dead Jesus, then our doors will be locked, right? The fear of the big, bad, scary world out there. If all we have is a dead Jesus, then we, our lives will be ruled by fear, intimidated by what others think of us. If all we have is a dead Christ, then we are without hope because death has the last word. And we've just got to kind of protect what we can. 
But then Jesus steps into the room, the risen king, victorious over sin and death, and he speaks the words peace. Christ's words here are peace. He says peace. He actually says it twice, right? He says peace be with you twice. And in between it emphasizes the disciples were overjoyed. The disciples' joy is kind of like sandwiched between the peace of Christ. And I think our word peace can kind of sound kind of shallow. We can miss out on the the thrust of what's happening here. Because when we think of peace in English, we tend to think of just sort of like, okay, the absence of conflict, like the war is done, right? But in the Jewish worldview, peace was a much more robust, kind of a full-throttled concept where it wasn't just the absence of the bad stuff. It was the presence of the good stuff. It wasn't just the end of war. It was the presence of life and joy and abundance and fullness. The Hebrew word shalom, it's kind of this robust God and humanity and the community flourishing and right relationship. And there's this abundant life that goes forth. Christ enters the room as the resurrected king and he comes bearing shalom. He brings God's abundant life flourishing into the darkness. And when Christ steps into the room, man, it's like he unlocks the doors and flings open the windows and suddenly the big, bad, scary world out there doesn't look so big and bad and scary anymore, right? Because Christ has risen victorious. And as Christ enters the room as king, we see that joy, the disciples are filled with joy, joy becomes the foundation of their mission. Like joy is the starting point for where mission begins from. The joy of having tasted the presence of the new creation and the person of the resurrected Christ. When they encounter Jesus, it fills them with joy. Mission starts from worship, right? Like the gospel overflows from joy. And so longing to see Christ glorified in our world, it shouldn't be like this kind of obligation. Like, oh man, I I don't want to be involved with that, but I suppose I have to if I'm going to say I'm a Christian. It should be a want to, right? Overflowing from the joy of having encountered the goodness of God in Christ. I was at a, a coffee shop this week. I bumped into my friend Brian, and uh, he's, he's a barista. And I come in, and he's like, dude, you'll never believe. I, I think it's often like romance, right? Like this kind of thing where, where Brian, he's like, dude, you never believe. I just, I, he started dating someone recently. And he's like, dude, she's so great. And da, 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 we went out this week, and here's the thing that I like about her. And, and I can't get him to shut up, right? Like, it's rad. He's just going off. And pretty soon there are other people in line, you know, and I'm like, all right, dude, I should probably you know, get over here. But he could, couldn't stop talking about her. And his proclamation of her was fueled by joy. His proclamation of her was fueled by joy. And so I think the reality is the gospel works like that too, right? It's not this kind of grin and bear it thing. It's this reality that when we encounter the goodness of God in Christ, it's something that we want to share. It moves from being a have-to thing to a want-to. We're able to step out of kind of our huddle in fear, and we're able to step boldly into God's world, empowered by the presence of the risen Christ. All right, so Jesus moves us from defense to offense. Let's go next in the, in the passage here. Jesus goes on. He tells them in verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I love that, that It's as the Father has sent Christ, the same way, the same manner. It's not only that we're sent, it's also how we're sent. Like God sends us in the same manner that he sent his son. In sacrificial love, we're to lay down our lives in love for the world as Christ has. 
That's why it doesn't really work if we're kind of like, hey, man, I'm following Jesus. I'm walking in his dust and I'm going after him. But then if we're like an arrogant jerk who's like beating people over the head with our Bible, it doesn't work that way, right? Like that's, that's not following in the same manner as the father sent the son. And so it bothers me and people are like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like the method doesn't matter as long as you're just, you know, preaching Jesus. God can work through anything. I'm like, no, well, I don't think it gives us license to become a jerk, right? Like, yes, God can work through anything. That doesn't necessarily mean you want to try and be that anything, right? Like, yes, Balaam, <laughs> Balaam's donkey, right? Yes, God can work through an ass. It doesn't mean you want to be one, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the method is important. We are called to follow Christ, to be sent by, by him in the same manner that he came in sacrificial love to lay down our lives generously and extravagantly for the world around us, for our neighborhood, even for our enemies. We're sent in the same manner that Jesus was. We're also sent by the same Father, this Father, this God who is light, life, and love, and his very being, his eternal existence, who sends us to embody his life, light, and love into the world. That, and it's not that like kind of God's sending us and hanging back at a distance. Like when the Father sends the Son, it's not like the Father's back on the couch like eating Doritos and just going, all right, I'll see how this thing plays out, you know, from a distance. Jesus says, no, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father draws close to his world in Christ. As Rick said last week, he's not distant and disconnected. He is close. Right? And similarly, God sends us, the Creator wants to fill us with his very presence that we could actually embody his nearness, that God could draw near. The Creator of the universe could come close and draw near to your neighborhood in and through you. All right, so we're sent in the same manner as Jesus, by the same Father as Jesus, and we're sent with the same purpose to bring his shalom, his peace, his joy into the neighborhood. I love next how when Jesus sends them, he says, the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and he sends them back into Jerusalem, back into the very place they're afraid of, back to the place they were locking the doors from and closing their windows from, right? Like God sends them back into the place they were already at. I think this confronts how sometimes we tend to think of, dude, if God's going to send me, he's going to send me somewhere far away and exotic and tropical or way on the other side of the world, right? Like people always like, dude, yeah, I think God might be calling me to Timbuktu. I don't know why everybody says Timbuktu. Like that's, man, there's probably like a huddle of Americans around Timbuktu. Like God called you here too? You know, like, and the Timbuktu church is like, hey, actually we're here and we're thriving. We're doing pretty good, you know. But, God sends them not to someplace far away. Like God sends them back into the place they already are. What does it look like to see the place that you already are as the place where God has sent you? You heard uh, Gianna earlier share about the refugee ministry. A uh, piece of that story you don't know is that the way this started, uh, about a year ago she came into my office and she was like, hey, you know, I long-term, I want to be a, a long-term missionary in the Middle East. That's my goal. But right now, I'm in college, I'm in university, I got a few years, and, and I, I wonder how can I be preparing and, and, and getting ready for that. And we got talking, and we started talking and praying and dreaming, and, and I was just like, hey, what would it look like to actually serve Middle Eastern refugees right here in Portland? Engage. She's like, oh, that's a good idea. So I said to it, and boom, it's blown up into like, you know, hundreds of people now that she's helping lead the charge to care for refugees in our city. And it started because Gianna learned to see the place she was already at as a place where God had sent her. Another person you might not know uh, here in the church here is uh, Noah Wex, who 
It's awesome. This kid, he's been a part of, he's in high school. He's been a part of our youth group and have been discipled there and just really excelled. And this guy has like the heart of an evangelist. He is just like breathing Jesus where he goes. But he goes, man, uh, right now though I'm in high school and man, it would be really great. I'd love to host this thing at my school uh, called Jesus Pizza where I don't have much money, but if we could help provide the pizzas, we'll get folks, you know, high school students where they can come together. I'll, I'll show a YouTube clip or I'll show some thoughts, a 10-minute reflection on Jesus, who he is, and then host a discussion with students who are interested. And this thing's blown up at his school. He now has dozens of students talking about Christ and exploring Christ together weekly. I think God's got great stuff for Noah down the road, but this, this has been him learning to see where he's already at as the place where God has sent him. I have found over the years that our best ministries tend to come from the places where we're already at, the places where people are already at. One of the goals for our missional grants, actually, uh, that we're coming up now in this season, missional grants, is this time where we open up the floodgates and just go, hey, anyone who's got an idea for a ministry, if you want to start one, we'd love to help assess, equip, and look at helping you launch it, right, and fund it and, and all that. And what I found over the years is our best missional grants, our best ministries tend to be the ones that come from where people are already at. If you take our foster care ministry, for example, uh, man, that has just blown up into this phenomenal thing in the city. And I wish I could take credit for it, but there's no way I can. I would have never thought of the stuff they thought up in a million years. And the reason they thought of it is because they were actually immersed in that world already. It was started by three foster families here at Imago. And it was because they had already been in those DHS child welfare offices to pick up their kids and their ki you know, the kids coming to them with all their stuff in a black plastic trash bag waiting for over eight hours, and the fear, the scariness. It's because they've been in that, they can start to dream, hey, what would it look like if we could create these welcome boxes, kind of cute photo storage boxes with 20 bucks worth of snacks and toys and games and a loving handwritten note, letting these kids know that they're seen and loved in one of the darkest times of their childhood. It was because they were in that world. It was because they were in those offices uh, at where you know, the most vulnerable families in our city are meeting with their kids. And they saw, man, there's bullet holes in the walls and broken windows and the furniture's falling apart and the paint hasn't been updated in 30 years. That They were able to dream and go, what if we as the body of Christ could come in and blitz this place with like an extreme makeover, right? And just totally furniture and paint and, and the works. And now that little seed of an idea from them learning to see where they were already at is where God had sent them. It's grown into like over 12,000 welcome boxes made by churches around the city in partnership with child welfare. Over a dozen extreme makeovers on every child welfare office in the city. Totally over 250 grand in donated materials and supplies and loads of volunteers. And it was because being in it, they go, Dude, we know this is hard. And the families, we don't just want to mobilize them and send them off to the wolves. Like, like let's, let's find ways to support. And so they dreamed up, like, let's, let's do a foster parents night out and let's cre create a support network. And now there's over nine foster parents night outs at churches across the, uh, at churches across the city. Caring for over 500 kids a month. And loving on some of the most vulnerable kids and, and giving these parents a, a night out, a rest throwing a carnival festival for them every month. And right here at Imago, our support network, there's now over 25 families who've stepped forward and are journeying through this together. I would have never thought of those ideas in a million years. It came from them seeing where they were already at and beginning to dream, how can we take our experience and what God's given us and the place that we're at and dream about God, how might you use us to, to, to send us as agents of your peace in this place? 
Another quick one I love is love handles. If you remember this one, like where, dude, folks who are in the medical industry and they're like going, okay, hey, we see people on this side who are getting these intensive surgeries and they're coming out and they're essentially like disabled for a few months, like four to six months, where um, they need like the, this disability equipment like be bath you know, benches and bedside commodes and all that. And, but that stuff is expensive and it's not covered insurance. But we know over here, here's where a bunch of that equipment is and we can get access to it for free or cheap or donated. And these worlds don't know how to, they aren't talking to each other. So what if we create the middle ground? We'll be the bridge, right? We'll receive this equipment and then we will, uh, when families come out, we'll go and make a delivery to their home and bring this equipment to them. But we also know, we don't just want to kind of leave it on the front porch and go. We also know that folks are often isolated and shut in and lonely. And so we want to budget two hours per delivery to try and step into conversation and be with people. And the first year, I think it was like 250 deliveries or so. And they said over half of them, people wanted them to come in and spend time with them and talk and hang out. They were intentionally seeking to go. They were going, dude, how do we see where we're already at as the place God has sent us and bring who we are to embody the love of Jesus and bring his peace there. Last one, our, our anti-trafficking ministry. Hey, this has just been huge. Like it's in Portland, it's been credited with reducing the child trafficking uh, demand by 56%. And now that team, they've received uh, national grants and they've been going out to train 10 major cities across the country for police departments and churches and how to work together in, in an initiative like the one they've been doing. But this all started because they had been working with the police department. They've been working on this issue for years in the trenches, figuring it out. So I say all this to go, man, you have better ideas than I do, right? God has gifted us with a diversity of talent and imagination and vision within this room. And man, I want to throw the floodgates open for us to dream big about how could God use the place that you're already at. And for some, that might be an official ministry, right? Like, so uh, our missional grants, they're, they're coming up. So April 20th is the deadline. And you might be hearing this and something's stirring going, man, I, I've had this idea. I'd like to take this and run with it. I'd encourage you, the info's in your bulletin. You can go out online, fill out an application, get that to us. Our, our board, we would love to kind of come alongside you and look at that and try and help uh, walk with you, just seeing how to best make that strategic and, and launch that in our city. So that might be for some of, some of you, but I think for all of us, how do we see where we're at as where God has sent us? Because uh, ministry is much bigger than quote-unquote ministry, right? Like for some of us, it might not be like official ministries like that, but in that sense, but man, how do I see on my home, my vocation, my neighborhood, my workplace, God, what does it mean that you've sent me to bury your peace into that place? All of us, for a follower of Jesus, all of us have been sent to where we're at. All right, well, finally... Uh, one of the things we've seen, Jesus moves us from defense to offense. He sends us to where we already are. But there's this danger. If we just stop there, I think there could be the sense that, like, dude, we're just running on our own steam and trying to do a bunch of stuff for, for Christ and all. But I think also Jesus moves us from doing things for God to doing things with God. He invites us to go from to stop doing stuff for God and to start doing things with God. So we go to the final verse here, uh, verse 21. After he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He goes on, he says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. All right, so first off, Christ breathes on them. It's kind of weird, right? <laughs> you ever had anyone just like kind of walk up to you and like breathe on you? Like, I would have a weird response, a re reaction. What's going on there? What is Jesus doing? 
Well, this imagery, it comes back from Genesis 2. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, like where, where God creates Adam from the dust and the clay of the earth and he forms his body and Adam is there and he's ready for God. He, he's been formed and created, but he's not alive yet, right? He's just skin and bones, right? And so God bends down and he takes a deep breath and he, he breathes into Adam. And Adam comes alive, enlivened by the very breath the ruach in, in, in Hebrew, the ruach, the spirit, the breath of God. Adam is enlivened. He comes alive by the very power and breath of God. Similar here for Christ and his disciples, right? Like in this fallen world, they're here and they're ready. They've been formed for Christ and prepared for him. And they're, they're, they're looking at him and they're ready. But Christ, whoo, he breathes into them his breath, his ruach, right? his spirit. The disciples come alive with the resurrection life of Christ. The power and presence of the new creation is present in us as Jesus' followers as we receive his breath, his life, his spirit upon us. And the reality that God's spirit is in us and with us, it moves us from doing stuff just for God to with God, right? And there's a difference when you're working with someone versus when you're working for someone. So if you can imagine, let's say a father is like, hey, dad's like, hey, son, I want you to run across town and go over to Les Schwab and pick up some tires and bring them back, right? Okay, that's fine. Like, he's your dad. That's a good errand to run. That's the thing. But how does it change the picture if dad's like, hey, son, I'm heading over across town to Les Schwab. Why don't you hop in the car and come with me? We'll go do it together. I don't know, we'll get some ice cream afterwards or something, right? It sort of changes the dynamic, though, right? It moves from just doing this behavioral thing you're doing in the distance to time together, something you're doing with participating with God. Or a parent like sending their kid out in the fields, like, hey, just go work out in the fields for the day, right? Versus going, hey, daughter, son, I'm going to be out in the fields. Come out and join me. Let's work together. Let's get some time together. Becomes a mode of participation rather than just stuff we're doing on our own strength. Jesus, when he breathes his life, his spirit upon us, he's calling us to enter into doing things with God. Not to just be running around trying to do things for God on our own. And he goes on, he, this kind of crazy thing. He says, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not. What's going on with that, right? That, that could sound a little weird. Like, only God can forgive sins, right? Didn't Jesus get in trouble for going around, like, forgiving people of their sins? People are like, oh, only God can do that. And that's right, it's true. Only God can do that. I think this speaks to the radical extent to which God is actually in us and with us and present to us as his people in the power of his spirit. Yeah, we don't, we don't forgive sins on our own, but as we proclaim the atoning work of Christ, as we proclaim the victory of Christ over sin and death and the grave, that the spirit takes that proclamation and the spirit unites people to Christ and through Christ to the Father, that God's spirit is with us. And as God goes with us, he brings his reconciling peace, the presence of the new creation, into the neighborhood through us. This shows the radical extent to which God is with us. And of course, this can get abused, you know, if you're just going, hey, uh, all my enemies, like, unforgiven, unforgiven, right? Like that neighbor who won't mow his lawn, unforgiven. <laughs> the other neighbor who parties all night long, a pox on your house, you know? Like, <laughs> And it's getting abused, but if you're doing that, then you're not really walking in the spirit of Christ, right? Like the spirit of the one who has laid down his life, even for his enemies. But if we walk in the spirit of Christ, 
His power and his presence is with us to accomplish mighty things for our God. I would suggest to you, prayer is the vehicle that moves us from doing things for God to doing things with God. Prayer is the avenue we take where we are seeking God's leading, his spirit, his presence, recognizing, God, we're dependent on you. We need you to guide the way. We need you to show us what the next step is. We need you to be in charge of this thing. Yeah, we want to do this with you. And in order to do it with you, we need to encounter you and see you and know you and hear your voice and encounter your leading. I think for a lot of us, prayer can feel like, I just one more thing, right? Like, oh, I'm doing all this other stuff now, and now one more thing. But it's just you, prayer is not one more thing. It is the rest from all the other things, right? That there is like that one thing that you can do that's anointed by the presence and the power of God, and it will be a hundred times more powerful than the many flood of different activities and things that you're trying to do on your own energy and strength. God's strength is stronger than ours. And the invitation to prayer is an invitation to give up our striving, to actually find maybe which activities we need to let go of, which things that we're kind of running after that we need to kind of set down and go, God, I'm going to seek you for that one thing. I'm going to seek you for those few things. What are those areas in my life that you're calling me, that you're sending me where I already am? I, uh, when I came to faith back in the day, I knew this guy, this older man named uh, Mr. Miller. And he just seemed to always have all these crazy conversations with people about Jesus. He was just like the, whatever, the evangelist, right? And, and, and I was like, dude, so how do you do this? Like, how do you, what, what's your technique? What's your strategy? How do you kind of enter into all these conversations about God? Because I, I, I feel kind of intimidated, right? And he kind of laughed and chuckled. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a technique or a strategy or a how-to. Um, he's like, honestly, I, I've felt intimidated over the years, too. Uh, back in the day, but back in the day, I, 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 I started to pray. I was like, God, would you bring me one person this week that I could share your love with, that I could embody your peace to, that I could be a conduit for your love for them? And he goes, I wasn't even looking for it, and it just started happening. Like every week, like, it seems like God just brings these crazy encounters where uh, I don't even have to try. It just kind of naturally comes up, and we end up talking about Jesus. And I was thinking about that recently. I was kind of like, oh, man, it's been a while. And so I, I prayed. I was like, God, would you bring someone, you know, this week? And the very next day, I kind of bump into the stranger I've never met before, and they need some help. So I help them out with this thing, and this conversation kicks in. And next thing I know, we're talking about Jjesus. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to look. I, 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 it kind of caught me off guard. I had to look back and go, oh, wait a minute. God, you answered that prayer from last night, right? <laughs> And so I don't want to make it like this ritualistic, like, hey, we do this and God will do this. God's not like the slot machine, right? We just pull the lever and get what we want. But I do want to say, dude, do we desire, I want to challenge us, do we desire that God would actually be known, glorified in our world, right? And if we desire that, if we long for that, if we want God to be known in our world, then why don't we pray for it? Why don't we seek him and his spirit to open up those pathways and opportunities that prayer is evangelism, right? It's not just one more thing. Prayer is the means by which God can bring the right conversations, the right context for us to follow his lead, to be attentive to his spirit, and to bear his peace into the world around us. And not just evangelism, I'd say prayer is justice too, right? God's strength is stronger than ours. As we look in our city, God can do immeasurably more than we can do on our own. I remember talking to a friend of mine, this missionary years ago, 
And she was in this place where in her neighborhood, there was the brothel that was kind of known. It was this big building that was known as being the place where, you know, children had been trafficked to and were, were in there. And, and just she knew the exploitation for the women of that place too. And, and she felt helpless and powerless. She's got, God, I, I just want to see the captive set free. I want to see this, this, this thing brought to an end, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And so out of frustration and not having any last resort, she began to walk around the neighborhood and she would walk around and she would pray almost daily. She would go and she would pray around this place and just pray, God, would you set the captives free? Would you bring your deliverance? Would you bring an end to the things that exploit and destroy? So about six months later, there was this like minor earthquake, right? And the building didn't collapse and crumble. Like people didn't die or whatever. But the building, like the infrastructure was damaged enough. They're like, ah, the police had to go in to deal with the evacuation or whatever. And all this stuff got uncovered and the kids got released, right? And she's just going, man, God's strength is so much more powerful than anything I could do on my own. My wife heard this, Holly, and now when she's driving through town, when she goes by like the sex clubs and the strip shops and just awareness of the exploitation that, that lies behind a lot of that, she just prays against him, like, God, would you bring him down? You know, there's a reality that on multiple levels, as we look around in our city, I think there's transformation that God wants to bring. And his strength is stronger than ours. His passion for that is bigger than ours. And so we can actually seek him in prayer for evangelism, for a justice, for people to encounter the life-giving resurrection power of Christ our King here in Portland today. So in light of all this, we believe that God is inviting us together as a church into a season of prayer. We're stepping into a season of starting this Wednesday of 40 days of prayer, where we want to seek Christ and his spirit together and ask God, what do you have for us in this season? God, help us to dream your dreams for our city, for our families, for our church in this season. And it's coming out of a place, too, of recognizing our need, right? That it's not like, hey, we're just doing great and then we'll tack this on. It's like, no, we recognize, God, we are in need of you to show up. Man, many of you know, but we have many uh, marriages this last year that have been falling apart and hurting and struggling. We have illnesses that have been skyrocketing, particularly to kids. It's been crazy, like the, the skyrocketing amount of illness. My daughter was one, but there's been a flood of kids getting extremely sick. Many of you have been talking lately about, you know, the budget crisis and all, right? That we had some budget issues recently. Um, and, yeah, and we've got, like, issues. There have been scenarios of apathy and divisiveness and just stuff going on. And so us recognizing together collectively as the body of Christ, Christ, we need you. We want to seek you. We want to seek your spirit, your leadership, your guidance for us in this season. And our city needs this, right? There's a lot of changes going on right now. You've probably noticed, but there's kind of sky rises popping up and apartment complexes and everything all over the neighborhood. There's sort of a new wave, big money coming in, new wave of gentrification of new, new folks getting pushed out to the, the outside as well. And so Portland is going through these dramatic changes over the next few years. And it raises this question of God, wow, what does our presence as the church look like in the midst of that? God, what do you have for us in the season of how we would be an outpost of your mission and your kingdom? here in our city? And the answer to that, honestly, I don't know. That's a good thing because it presses us into prayer, that we can seek God's lead. God, what would you have for us as your people on mission here in your city this year? 
And so when you walked in, you got these cards, the 24-7 prayer cards. They've got uh, the website on there where you can go out and you could find the uh, online calendar and we can sign up together for one-hour slots, right? You can do it yourself or with a few friends. Uh, and then be, it'll be in the prayer chapel here on the other side of the sanctuary. The, the doors there, uh, prayer chapel will be open, uh, be available 24-7. If it's between like 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., Ask you maybe to find like two friends, uh, come in groups of three, or you could sign up for an hour and do it at home, kind of during those late night hours. The big picture here would be us wanting to seek the presence and leading of God in this season. And likewise, uh, when you walked in, you got these cards. It's God, I want to see, dot, 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 right? And these cards, these are an invitation. I would invite you as we enter into this time of worship to actually be dreaming and thinking, God, what is it that I want to see? God, what is it that I want to see in my family? What is it I want to see in our church? What is it I want to see in our city? What is it I want to see in my life in the months and the year to come? That we could dream God-sized dreams for our lives, for our church, for our city. And when I mean, you fill those out, on the way out, you can take those back to the red buckets. You'll see them out there and drop them in there. And we're going to take these. Uh, they're, they're hard to miss. They're, they're everywhere. You can drop them in the red buckets. And, uh, and we're going to take these and turn them into an installation in the prayer chapel that can guide us through these 40 days of prayer. Where we're approaching Pentecost. Uh, it celebrates the coming of the Spirit and power and God's mission going forth in the world. So we're anticipating that this Wednesday, next 40 days. And we're going to turn these into a place to help guide us as we seek the presence and the power of Christ in us and through us, our city. So in closing, I want to invite us this morning to dream God-sized dreams for our lives in our city. To recognize that as we encounter the spirit of the resurrected Christ, he moves us from defense to offense, away from our fear. He sends us to the places we already are with fresh vision and imagination. And he invites us to experience doing things with him rather than just for him. Join me in prayer. Christ, we thank you that you have taken our sin, our death, our shame, God, upon yourself on the cross, and you have buried it in the grave, and you have risen victorious, God. Jesus, we thank you that you have brought your peace, your kingdom bringing, your sin smashing, your life giving shalom into the world, God. You brought it into our lives, and as we even tasted and encountered the life that's in you, God, we want to become bearers of your kingdom to your world, God. We long to see your kingdom come and your will done here in Portland as it is in heaven. So, Father, we dedicate this upcoming season to you where we want to seek after you in prayer. We pray, God, that you would give us your dreams for our lives and for our city, God. God, that you would give us your God-sized dreams for your kingdom transformation to break into our lives and through us as your people. And Father, we pray that you would move us out of those areas where we feel afraid or intimidated, uh, that Christ, we would recognize that you are alive, that you have your power and you've given it to us. You walk with us and you invite us to step in and participate with you in the things you're about in your world, God. In the name of Christ, we pray. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.